Hello, and welcome to Code Recursive, where we share the stories and the people behind the code. Today's episode is an FP interview. It focuses on functional programming, and I'm talking to one of the most interesting people in that space, Edwin Brady. Edwin is the creator of Idris, and he's just really great at explaining himself, and he has some super interesting ideas about where programming could go. If you've seen some of the tooling he's built around Idris, it's pretty magical. It seems like weird alien technology from the future, but it's here today. So let's get to the interview. I hope you enjoy it. Edwin Brady is the creator of the Idris programming language and the author of Type-Driven Development with Idris. Uh, Edwin, welcome to the show. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for having me. So I have your book here in front of me. Uh, I really enjoy it. I have not gotten all the way through it, um, but I've definitely learned a lot. I thought before we uh, really dig in, maybe we need to, to lay down some terminology. So what is a type? Ah, no. This is, this is a, a surprisingly hard question to answer. So I, th I think if you ask 100 computer scientists, you'll get at least 100 answers. Um, so I would say that a type is a way of classifying data. So it's a way of putting some kind of meaning to the data that you're working with. But I think depending on the kind of context you're in, type could mean something different. So, you know, if, 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 if you're the computer, then the type is a way of um, describing how data is laid out. And if you're a programming language, then a, a type is a way of, um, of making sure the data is interpreted consistently. But as far as a programmer is concerned, you know, which, what uh, you know, we're all interested in. So type is a way of uh, describing the data we have. What then is uh, a dependent type? So a dependent type is, um, I mean, these days I'm preferring to use the phrase uh, first class types. Uh, okay. The reason being that if you, uh, so when we talk about um, functional program, we are programming and, and what distinguishes it from, say, imperative, object-oriented programming, or what additional features it, it gives us, uh, we like to say that um, functions are a first-class uh, part of the language. That is, you can assign functions to variables, you can pass functions to, uh, to other functions, you can return functions, and so on. So when I say dependent types or first-class types, I mean the same kind of idea, but for types. That is, you can assign types to variables, you can write functions which compute types, you can uh, pass types as arguments to functions. Um, and so what makes, what makes this dependent is the fact that you can then use types or use values to um, uh, more precisely describe the data that you're working with. So, so types can be computed from or depend on other bits of data. So the, the, the classic introductory example of this is, you know, imagine you have uh, a list um, and then you can make that more precise by saying, OK, I have a list where all of the elements of the list are the same type. And then I can make that even more precise by saying I have a list where all the elements of the say are of the same type and it has some specific length. So, so list with length is the, the example of calculating the type from a number being the length. Um, but that, that, that's really the essence of it. The fact that types become first class and you can compute uh, types from values uh, and, and to some extent vice versa. So what is Idris? So Idris is a programming language that I've been working on really as a, as a part of my um, research in uh, programming language design and, and software correctness. So it's a purely functional programming language. It takes a lot of its uh, ideas from uh, Haskell, largely because I quite like Haskell. Um, and it's uh, it's something I've been 
using to put into practice uh, a lot of the research ideas that have been coming from you know all sorts of all sorts of people over the last i don't know 20 30 years in 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 using programming languages to um better express um correctness of software so there's there's all these wonderful ideas that have, have come out of uh, various places, such as the uh, the Koch theorem provers uh, that um, uh, come out of uh, uh, France, uh, the the AGSA programming language that's come from uh, the, the group in, in Chalmers in Sweden, uh, and research dating back to you know Permart and Lerf in the seventies. And I think all of this stuff is wonderful, and it allows us to be very precise about uh, the programs we want to write, and 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 very precise about the data we're working with. But it's really not something. Yet that mainstream programmers can can pick up and run with. And one thing I would really like to do with Idris and possibly with, or most likely with successor systems, is make these uh, techniques available to um, uh, practitioners and software developers because, you know, it's really cool and I want people to use it. Um, what is a theorem prover? Aha. Um, so when, when we talk, <laughs> where to start? Um, so theorem, pro- theorem proving and programming are, in some very real sense, uh, the same thing. Very, there, there, there's something when when you write a program. Let's say you write a program that um, will stick with functional programming. So you write a program that takes an integer as an input and gives you an integer as an output. Just something as simple as that. Then, mm-hmm. if you can write that program, then that is that program constitutes a proof that it's possible to take an int and give you back an int. So you can read it as, as the theorem, int implies int. Now, that as a theorem is not particularly exciting. Um, nevertheless, it is a theorem. It's a fairly, fairly trivial theorem. But as you start adding a little bit more precision uh, into your type system and you start looking at the relationships between what is a type and what is a theorem, um, you start getting um, rather more um, interesting properties of your program. So, uh, uh, if sorry, I think of a of a, of a nice uh, simple example, I'd say um, uh, a simple theorem such as if A is true and B is true, then um, A is true. Okay, so A and B imply mm-hmm. A. So in terms mm-hmm. of a program, what? Are, so this is just some logical proposition, simple logical proposition. In terms of a program, what is that? Well, it's um, uh, it's a proof that or it's a program that takes a pair of an A and a B and returns an A. So this would be taking the first projection of a pair, for example. So as you start adding more interesting features into your types, so you start adding even more interesting features into your theorems, such as if you have a type that represents uh, a sorted list and you have another type that represents an unsorted list, um, so if you can add that level of precision, then a program that goes from unsorted list to sorted list is, with certain extra assumptions and and, and, um, properties added, you've got a function that is guaranteed to be uh, a function that sorts a list. So the question is, is that a proof or is it a program? Is it a proof that this algorithm sorts a list or is it a program that actually does sort a list? And the answer is, it's both. So um, 
I mean, I, I started out this from, a, you know, I, I came into academia from having been a, a C++ programmer in industry for a couple of years. And, and I thought, okay, it's, yeah. Um, I, I basically went to a talk and just, uh, on, on theorem proving and decided this would be more fun. And so sort of went to the, went into the other direction and, and started, you know, doing the theorem proving and, and, and uh, generating, um, uh, implementations of sorting algorithms from specifications. And um, started thinking, well, how? What is the relationship between the, this C plus plus programming that I've been doing, and the, this very abstract theorem proving that uh, that the, the, these people have been teaching me? And so I think, well, you know, there's a, a very close relationship. So this is um, if, if people often uh, um, when people talk about this idea, you, you'll hear it referred to as uh, uh, the Curry Howard correspondence. So it's a it's a pretty well known idea. It's a, it's a, it's been known for um, decades now, but it's it's not something that people typically think about when they're programming. But you very much are um, using this uh, uh, this concept that that programs are proofs. And when you when you say that Idris is Pac-Man complete, I think this is is this a reference to the fact that these these other dependently typed languages don't actually run, or um, not not so much that. So um, people ask questions about. Uh, programming languages like when is it Turing complete and you know that's a people are worried about this sort of thing because you know Turing completeness means that you can solve all of the all of the interesting computable problems but I just don't think Turing completeness itself is a very interesting property of a practical programming language for example um, C++ templates are Turing complete but you probably wouldn't write Pac-Man using only C++ templates. Um, I don't know, make files are probably Turing complete. Whitespace, the programming language is Turing complete. I mean, all the, these uh, these things are Turing complete, but you couldn't write Pac-Man in them. Whereas mm-hmm. it's it's not beyond the realms of possibility that you could take a language that isn't quite Turing complete. That is, you can you can always guarantee that the program terminates in a certain finite time, and you could still write Pac-Man in it if you had the graphics libraries and the operating system interface libraries, provided that you had a suitable upper bound on the amount of the time the program is going to run. So I think it's a much more interesting property of a practical programming language that it is th- that you could write Pac-Man in it than that you could solve uh, you know any computable uh, uh, problem in it because um, what you um, I mean this is uh, this is opening quite a can of worms so I'll you know, I try to sort of gloss over some of the some of the details but um, uh, theorem provers like um, Koch or Agda generally the ones we talk about um, in world of dependent type programming um they require programs to be uh total which basically means that they need to cover all well-typed inputs and um programs uh, or functions need to produce a, f- a non-empty finite prefix of their outputs in finite time that is to say they need to do some useful work in finite time and uh, unless unless you do a few uh, uh, little tricks, this this can mean that your language isn't Turing complete. Um, because you know the, the, the a Turing complete in a Turing complete programming language, you can't solve the halting problem in general because um, 
uh, well, uh, you can't write the program that says whether any any program, uh, any given program with any given input is going to terminate. But in a theorem prover, mm-hmm. everything has to terminate. So that's that kind of suggests that it can't possibly be Turing complete. But the question is, what kind of useful things can you do? Or, or, or rather, what useful things can't you do? And I haven't yet found a useful thing I can't do uh, by disallowing programs looping forever and not producing any output on the way. Uh, I'm not entirely convinced these programs exist. Uh, you know, something that merely merely makes makes my machine get hotter while it's running is probably not something that's going to be useful to me. Um, now, it does obviously make some programs a little bit harder to write because I have to start. I have to, I have to produce some guarantees that uh, that this thing is going to produce some output eventually. On the other hand, the payoff is that I know for certain that this program is going to give me some a, a result at some point. So. Um, I mean, if nothing else, it's a it's it's a useful technique for ruling out uh, uh, silly mistakes. Anyway, all of that is why I think Pac-Man completeness is more interesting. Is because you know I can still I can still write Pac-Man within these constraints, um, but if you pick some arbitrary Turing complete thing, amazing an amazing number of things are accidentally Turing complete, but you can't write Pac-Man in them. It's quite hard to be accidentally Pac-Man complete. So I take by implication. Um... Idris is a total language. Is it always total, or it's not always total? So this is one of the um, one of the decisions that, that that I made quite early on is that um, checking checking that something is total is important because it's um, it's a check that allows you to be um, certain of you know various properties of of, of your programming. So so. Um, uh, remember earlier on, I was talking about programs and proofs being the same thing. Uh, and while this is true, in a Turing complete programming language, uh, your proofs come under the assumption that your program is uh, is also total, or your program produces a result. So all your proofs, like my int arrow int example, it's really only a proof that the, that an int implies int if this program terminates. If it, if your language is total, then it really is a proof that you know int arrow int will return an int. So in Idris, it will always check whether something is total because if something, if you know something is total, if the machine tells you that I am convinced this is total, you can place a lot more trust in it than if it's not total. However, um, there is this goal of being accessible to the more mainstream software developers and, and, and bringing it closer to what people do in practice. And I think you have to um, you have to take things a little bit slowly if you want people to uh, adopt your ideas. And uh, there's a, a very nice uh, concept I came across only quite recently uh, that I think it's due to uh, Steve Klabnik, who's uh, very heavily involved in Rust. He, he calls it the language strangeness budget. So if you if you make a new programming language, uh, you have a target audience. So in my case, it was kind of Haskell, ML, OCaml developers, um, uh, to a lesser extent, Scala developers. So you pick your target audience, and then you decide how many things you're going to do that is away from what they're used to. So how many odd concepts you're going to introduce. And those odd concepts have to have some... Uh, at least, well, I would say some clear value, um, maybe not some obvious value, but over, over time, the, the, those concepts become clear. You can only have so many of them. And my feeling at the time was, although I didn't know it under this name, my feeling at the time was that if I were to require totality for, uh, and without, with, you know, totality as a default rather than non totality as a default, then I would have 
blown my language strangeness budget uh, many times over. I was sort of feeling that first class types is already spending that strangeness budget, and that that's enough. That's enough for people to deal with uh, as, as a first step. So I think future versions or future languages that, you know, hopefully there will be future languages that are uh, uh, inspired by Idris. Hopefully they will take this idea of totality much further the, as people get used to the idea. Um, so I, I think, you know, it, it, once once the tools are better for uh, detecting where the programs are terminating, uh, this is it, it, it's going to be just like... Um, you know, these days you have the, the the arguments between dynamic typing fans and static typing fans. You know, maybe in the future that we'll have arguments between uh, total language fans and non-total language fans. Who knows? <laughs> but I, I, like, I like this concept. I think it's a lovely concept. Like it explains concept. it explains so much about language design choices. Yeah. Although there's a certain amount of I don't know disappointingness. Uh, if that's even a word, because like languages seem to take decades to reach popularity and if it can only differ say right. two steps in, in one direction um yeah but this you know. is i think we're talking here about um mainstream languages so if you look in the um academic research community the kinds of languages that are, people are coming up with so if you go to a, one of the academic conferences like uh, principles of programming languages say um people tend to come up with new languages to demonstrate a point and they will you know they have all the exciting features you know linear types or uh, uh, session types or uh, um total programs and and uh if if the best if the very best ideas come out of these languages and then get adopted by mainstream languages then as academics i i, I think we've won and the same goes for idris really i mean it, uh, i don't have the resources for idris to be a mainstream language that's adopted by the world now but if people were to take the ideas like even just the totality checking and, and reporting errors or warnings if things are not total and and people put them in mainstream languages like scala or even you know uh, Java, C plus plus. Then, then we're definitely winning. So, you know, if you keep an eye on the, so, on the academic community, there's all sorts of interesting ideas coming out. So, is it possible to take uh, first class types and and bring it to a to an existing language? Um, so, there, I I don't see why not. Um, in principle, there would be all kinds of interesting challenges to. Get them to interact with um, uh, with with the type system as it stands. So you know, sometimes I uh, I see discussions on. I occasionally get tagged on discussions about uh, extensions to the Rust type system, for example, which would be pretty cool to get a, a bit more uh, dependent types in there. But um, the mm -hmm. the difficulties, I suppose, are to do with um, uh, mutation. So how, how do you make um, Types which are known at compile time uh, interact nicely with um, mutable variables. So something which is something which is true about a value at the start of a function's execution might become not true uh, after things are um, are modified. So in Idris, we don't have a problem with that because Idris is a purely functional language and things can't update. Um, so you, you might have to introduce some restrictions on on what you can do, but um, you know, in principle, we, we've 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 thought about um, side effects uh, and dependent types. We've thought about um, you know interaction with the outside world and, and dependent types. So, if we find the right restrictions for for the type level language, then uh, then then it's something that could be doable. So, what, uh, I mean, it, it, Idris being purely functional uh, means that um, uh, it's all about evaluation. So, so. An, an Idris program, uh, or the, the, when we talk of um, 
what it means to be a first-class type. We're only allowing things to evaluate. We're not allowing things to execute. So in order to get a, for, a, for a, a purely functional program to execute in the outside world, you really need to think of it as, as, as an operating system executing the description of the actions that have been computed by um, the functional program. So if you start putting... Uh, let's say, you know, hypothetically, you add first class types to Java and you start saying, okay, now everything that's a Java program can go in a type. Well, at that point, you're able to execute arbitrary IO actions uh, while you're compiling the program, which is <laughs> that's probably not a good idea. You know, you get it wrong. You, you get a compile error, you actually delete your source code, that sort of thing. Um, so, you, you, so you need to be a little bit careful about, uh, about the restrictions and you need to think carefully about how it interacts with subtyping, for example. Um, but I'm sure it's doable. Um, I really thought you were going to say the reverse, that it wasn't possible, that we would need a, a new language. Well, um, so maybe maybe a new language is a better place to experiment with these ideas. So, you know, as, as, as languages evolve, they do tend to get uh, very big. Um, I mean, if you look at C++ now, or even Haskell now, it's, 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 it's not clear that everyone is using the same language when they say they're writing a Haskell program. Well, they're definitely not using the same language when they say they're writing a Haskell program. So, so it, I think it would make sense to... Um, you know, rationalize the ideas into a into a new system. But then, of course, if you make a new language, people aren't going to use it because they're heavily invested in, uh, in in tools that already exist. So, um, I don't know. I don't know how to solve that problem. I'm I'm just here to throw out ideas and uh, and prototype implementations and see what people run with. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, like you mentioned, Rust, which is which is quite a new language, and uh, they they've managed to kind of you know coalesce a, a whole community around themselves and you know, are seem to be in the process of rewriting everything a C++ developer would need using Rust. I, I don't really know how they've done it. No, I mean, Rust seems to be uh, taking off and um, uh, I should get around to learning it, to be honest, because there's all sorts of interesting ideas in there that uh, that I think, uh, you know, we could pick up, try out. Sorry, go uh, ahead. Yeah, I mean, how, how they've got people to adopt it, I, uh, I, I guess part of it is if you have... Um, an organization like Mozilla behind it, and you have this flagship system that you're developing. I think that's going to help uh, to some extent. Uh, so, you know, in in, in Idris, we don't uh, we don't have uh, have that uh, have those resources, but um, maybe it helps. I don't really know. You mentioned Haskell. Um, I saw a talk by uh, I think it's Stephanie Weirich um, about dependent Haskell. So she did a pretty cool demo um, with like a regex library. It, it was really neat. But then she showed me, like I didn't understand how it was written at all. Um, but using it was was quite cool because you had the the, the types of the regex there kind of at, uh, at compile time. Um, but my question is, so why, why do we need Idris, I guess, if Haskell... Can do this. Right. Uh, I think it comes back to this point about languages evolving and getting bigger and bigger over time. Um, and, and I think it's it's good to rationalize these extensions. So is, is there one single extension or small number of extensions that could capture all of the ideas that... Um, uh, th that are in the many, many extensions that Haskell has. Now, I think it's fantastic that uh, all of these things are coming into Haskell because it's, 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 I mean, it, it's, it sounds uh, funny to me to, to call Haskell a, a wider mainstream audience, but I guess from where I'm sitting, it is. Um, uh, so, so the fact that these ideas that we talk about in, in the full dependent types world are, are 
being increasingly adopted by people, uh, but not only in Haskell, but in, but in Scala, thanks to the work of people like uh, Miles Sabin. Um, uh, so the, the, pe- people are starting to see what we're doing in a context that they can use in their day-to-day life. So that's brilliant. But the question of why do we need it? I mean, we we it's I think it's always good to experiment with uh, new ideas without the constraints of of the decades of of, of design decisions, language decisions that have come before. So um, if if you're to go with Haskell, for example, you are uh, going to have to take uh, lazy evaluation, for example. So that may or may not be a good thing. I, that, I think that's up to individuals to decide. Um, you're um, you're going to have to deal with the fact that um, types and values are distinct things. So you'll you, you don't have you don't have truly first class types. Uh, so that, uh, you know there may be plans to. Um, uh, to improve that, but uh, uh, you, you sort of have to work with the uh, with the tools you've already got. Whereas if you take a new language, you're totally free of that. You can make your own decisions. Um, but I think just just this idea of, of of Idris is significantly simpler than Haskell. When you take the fact that you've got the first class types, you can do um, you can do all of the fancy things that can happen in. Haskell's type system, and you only have to learn one notation to do it. So, I kind of feel that if I'm teaching Haskell, which you know I do to undergraduates here in St Andrews, um, I'm not going to teach them pendant types. I'm going to teach them basically um, well more than Haskell ninety eight, but but the the, the uh, modern Haskell without any of the extensions. So I'll teach them that, but I'm not going to teach them any of the uh, uh, really advanced features just because they've got enough to deal with already while uh, thinking about uh, moving from uh, uh, Java, which they've done pretty much exclusively so far, moving on to Haskell. On the other hand, if I'm teaching uh, Idris, I actually feel that I can um, move on to dependent types really early. I, c- I can write. I mean, th- you see this in the book that in the in within the first chapter, I give an example of of computing types, and you know, by chapter three, we're on to you know, here's here's a here's a thing that just allows you to compute the length of a list in the type, and I don't really feel like I'm adding anything. Uh, any new language features to do that. It's just a natural thing that happens if you're able to compute with types. And that's really not the case in um, Haskell, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. It's it's pedagogically kind of much simpler. Like, um, I I don't understand all of these um, extensions that were turned on to do the dependent Haskell. And uh, I have a feeling that she did. And Right. Well, I mean, she's, she's been heavily involved in, in, in creating them, which probably helps. Um, and, then, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I've, I've seen some of her talks, and, and there's some fantastic stuff that, that they're doing there. Um, so, um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's great to see. But uh, uh, I, I think it's some, it, at some point, that there, there, I would say, needs to be a new language, which is not necessarily Idris, well, probably not Idris, but some new language that, that takes these ideas, brings them all together, and, and has, uh, has enough people behind it that it, that it, that it can become you know, robust and production-ready. But we'll see. Um, so one of my uh, favorite things from this book is the interactive editing. So that's that's something new to me. I wonder if you could describe it. Right. So um, this is uh, like if you if you use IDEs for uh, which you know many people do, particularly if uh, if you're using a statically typed language, you're you're kind of used to the idea that that uh, writing a program is not just a case of you type a load of stuff and then you feed it to to you know, the Oracle and it says you know 
well, it basically says no, doesn't it? It tells you it tells you why your program doesn't work. Um, but if you're using an IDE, it's it's not just writing a program and feeding it to the system. You, you've got this interaction with, um, you know, giving suggestions for uh, completing method names and so on. So if you have um, a precise type system, uh, that gives the machine more to work with. The machine should be able to help you write your program a lot more than if you just have a, a fairly simple type system. So, in fact, I think this is much more uh, a much more important, much more interesting thing about types than than what people often say, which is about you know, correctness and refactoring. So, people always come up with th- this argument that if you have a statically typed language, um, you can be more confident that you've done the right thing, and there will be fewer bugs. Well, I think in practice we don't tend to see that because unit testing is a very useful thing. So far more interesting to me is this idea of interactive editing, the fact that that you can use what you've said about the program to help you end up at the right program with the machine's help. So the idea is write the type first, uh, ask the machine to give you a small candidate definition um, that matches that type, and then just refine the program Get a few more details into the program um, according to what the machine might be suggesting. So, so to pick an example, we always go back to vectors. Let's say you're writing a program to um, uh, let's say you've got two vectors of the same length, two vectors of, of integers mm-hmm. of the same length, and you want to add the corresponding values in each vector. Um, so, what do you do? You say, okay, what? Um, well, if if both of the vectors are empty, then the result is empty. If both of the vectors have um, uh, a head element and a tail, then I will add the corresponding head elements and I will add together everything in the tail. And, and there's no other cases. So the, the, the types tell me that there can not, not possibly be any other cases. So what I'll do is I'll write the type. I'll say, you know, vect, vect int n to vect int n to vect int n. So that both inputs are vect int n and the output is vect int n. Mm-hmm. And then I, will, then I will say to the machine, tell me all of the possible values of the first input. And uh, you know, somehow this 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 seems odd to describe in words rather than on a screen, but we'll, we'll, we'll persist. Um, so um, so I, I say to the machine, tell me all of the things that that first input can have, and it will uh, split the definition, give me the two possibilities. Then I will say for one of those two possibilities, I will say, tell me all of the values that this could have. So we're in in the first case um, where the first input is empty. I will say, tell me all of the possibilities for the second input, and it will tell me. Only the empty input is possible. So already I've, I've got something out of the interactive editing here and I've got something out of the types. So uh, I haven't had to write any of this definition other than say to the machine, you know, I, I'll tell the machine the steps we're going to take and the machine will tell me what the program looks like. Um, and then even then I can go a little bit further and it'll say, you know, what is, what is the output if the, both of the inputs are empty? And it will tell me, well, the output you're looking for must be a vector of length zero. There is only one vector of length zero. So I say to the machine, you tell me what the output will be, and it will tell me. So that you, you get more commands to, by, by having a bit more information at the time, you get more commands for interacting with the machine. So, so not just things like, um, tell, me what, uh, tell me what functions or what methods work with these input types, but tell me exactly what class of, what, what values can this input be? Which, which values are ruled out? Um, what values can the output be? Just search for the output for me. So, so it becomes much more of an interaction. It becomes much more of a conversation with the machine than um, 
than 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 programming uh, typically is. And and I think really in the end, if we're going to be if we're going to write programs that work, it's really it's 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 a uh, it, it needs to be an interactive process. It needs to be a conversation. It's almost you know to some extent pair programming with the machine as your pair rather than uh, rather than um, you know just writing the program on your own. Now that said, uh, we've only just scratched the surface of what's possible here. So um, as types get more complicated, we, 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 you know, there's some engineering needs to be done. So the uh, Idris, as it stands, just gets a bit too slow once you have uh, once you have much larger programs. Um, still useful, but you know you, you tend to be waiting a few seconds for the reply rather than rather than getting the reply instantly. So I think we've, uh, there's a lot of work we need to do here. But if we really start thinking about what what how can we get machines to support type driven development? Uh, that go way beyond what IDEs can currently do. I think that's that's really an interesting topic to explore. We should do a lot more deeply. Um, so probably the, the the key concept that that, that um, I think all languages can adopt, or at least all type all statically typed languages can adopt, is this concept of uh, holes. So a hole is mm-hmm. uh, a part of a program that you haven't written yet, but that is nevertheless syntactically valid. So so in Idris, you would mark that as uh, you know question mark something so it's a question mark then name so question mark foo and then i can ask the machine what is the type of foo and it will tell me what's available and uh what type needs to go there so so i might have some fairly complex program with some 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 tricky manipulation to do and i'm in the middle of a definition and i just need to know the types of all the variables and i need to know the types that goes in that hole and if if, if the machine can tell me that then that really helps with development because i very rarely have a program that doesn't compile as a result of this it's so like instead of Instead of writing, you know, coming up with some plausible uh, but wrong um, implementation, what I typically do is write as much of the implementation as I'm sure I understand, and leave a hole for the rest. And basically, just say to the machine, "Over to you. Tell you, give me more information." And um, it, it it almost gets to a point where you know people say type errors are really difficult to understand if you have a fancy type system, and you know this is not quite true. But you can almost say, "What type errors? I don't get type errors because." Because I, I write the part of the program I understand, and I ask the machine to tell me what I need. So rather rather than giving the program to the machine and, and it, it, the machine saying you're wrong, it's it's say to the machine, tell me what I need here to be right. So it's, it's of course it's not true to say what type errors in practice, but uh, but you do tend to find that the type errors aren't uh, they're not. They don't come up so often when you ha- or you don't spend so much time scratching your head over them when you can just replace the wrong bit of a program with a hole and see what the machine's expecting. I think, uh, yeah, it, it's it's odd to talk about just an audio form, but yeah, you've really turned the the development model inside out, right? So rather than yeah. you know writing out a program and then trying to see, oh, well, what type should this return? The the method here is you know write out the type use the sort of built-in features to have this expanded. Um, and so uh, you're sort of, I guess that that's the title, right? That's why it's type-driven exactly development. It, yeah. And I'm assuming that's also, that's also why it says with Idris rather than using Idris, I'm guessing, right? Because. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was originally intended as, as just a book on Idris. And then it was like, okay, um, no, if if we're trying to sell this as a mainstream publisher, nobody's heard of Idris. So what do what do we do to sort of bring out the uh, bring out the details for uh, for a wider audience? So it was it was the the focus in the end became. I mean, even though it, clearly it is a book about Idris, there, there, there's a lot more of the 
the, the process, how, how you arrive at the program, not just how you write the program. So that's kind of why the book is full of all of these uh, steps of type, define, refine, start with the program. Here are all the intermediate steps. So it's kind of a tricky thing to do in writing rather than, rather than animation. Uh, nevertheless, that is, the, that is the key idea. I think you can follow the ideas in other languages too, but the tools aren't, uh, aren't, aren't there so much. But I, I hope they will be. And the the concept of the whole, uh, if I can just describe it a little bit. So I could write a Java program, and whenever I you know don't quite know what goes here, I could write you know throws new not implemented exception, um, and the program will compile. Um, so in a way, that's kind of like a whole. Yeah. Except the holes. So so the sorry. Go ahead. The difference is that that's a runtime failure rather than compile time information. So uh, you wouldn't get the information about what type what type needs to go in that hole. Um, you would be able to run a partially written program, which is, of course, really useful. I do it all the time. Um, I mean, I compile and run programs with holes all the time and just you know, accept that the hole is going to crash. Fine. Um, but yeah, it, it's really about getting the information at compile time. It's like the, the compiler knows this information. Your Java compiler knows exactly what needs to go there because it has to know that because it's checking. Mm-hmm. So it's like, why is it keeping the information to itself? This is like a you know an obstructive coworker that doesn't want you to get your uh, get your program written. Um, so you know, it, it just. <laughs> I mean, I, I, have, I haven't done much development with uh, with IDEs in Java lately. So for all I know, this is this is something that IDEs do. To, if they don't, they should. Uh, yeah, it's certainly not as well as as Idris as Idris does it, which is interesting. Um, you know, I feel like the tooling, uh, just using the examples in the book and the tooling in Atom, uh, it's really quite a process. Like I found. Um, you know, even like maybe the example doesn't have to be Java, but if if I was writing Haskell and I just put in like undefined, like the type I'll get out will say like it's it's bottom or something. It won't. Yeah, I don't. I mean, at least the last time yeah, I used Haskell. So Haskell, the uh, latest versions of Haskell. So I forget exactly when this came in. So it's quite um, a couple of years ago, anyway. So you can now put an underscore in a program. And it will tell you all of the information it has about that hole. So it'll give you a compile error, but it's a compile error that says, okay, this is what you have, this is what you need. So it's it's they call them typed holes, I think. Um and that that's pretty much the same concept. It doesn't have the 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 editing, but it, it's basically telling you all the information it has. So really useful there. So this concept is kind of working its way out. Uh sure, yeah. Um <laughs> or or yeah, I mean, it, it, it's 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 an idea that I I I have the impression it's it's uh, it's an idea that people like, and um, I mean it's it's it, it's certainly not an idea I came up with. It's it's an idea that's been around for quite some time, particularly in uh, in in the theorem proving uh, community. So, if you're um, working through, if you're, if you're doing a proof in in Coq, for example, or any of the earlier systems, um, you're basically re- developing the proof interactively, and you have. Uh, holes in the proof that you're you're filling in just by learning more information about the program. So it's it's um, I guess this is one of the ideas that's that's coming out of this uh, uh, theorem proving background, but is really useful for programming too. Makes sense. Yeah, to me, you know, it seems like magic, but it makes a lot of sense. So the expression search, you have a you have an example in the book where I think you do insertion sort and i don't think you actually write anything it almost seems like you write the type and then yeah so you know, in, uh, insertion sort expand it quite do it 
because you're not you're not quite giving enough information about the program. So, you, it, if I remember rightly, the example in the book is uh, is insertion sort on vectors. So, the, what you get out is it's definitely the right length, but you have to put a little bit in yourself to get the things in the right order. But the one uh, there is one in the book which is. Um, transposing a matrix um so you know n by n vector to n by n vector and there's very little that you have to write there so you kind of have to know roughly overall what you need to do but uh, i mean genuinely when i was coming up with that example i was thinking how on earth do you transpose a vector this is a classic example of this how on earth do you do it and in the end i just thought why don't i just ask the computer this is why am i why am i even thinking about this let's ask the machine to do it and it Pretty much each, at each step um, uh, tells you what to do, but actually the the the, uh, the address expression search is is really embarrassingly uh, simple, and there are much more sophisticated systems. So um, so Agda is another uh, dependent type programming language. Um, so I think it's more more uh, aimed towards the theorem proving side than the programming, but it's definitely still a programming language. There's a tool as part of that called Agzi, which which can which goes way further. It, it it tells you more about pattern matching as well as the the expression search. So there's there's a lot more we can do. Um, I mean, really, what Idris does is it just does a brute force search for the first thing it finds that matches the type. And if you give enough information, it's it's almost embarrassingly, uh, you, know, imp- you know, embarrassingly good how well it does, given how, how much li- or how little effort has gone into it. Um, in the book, you go through an example of uh, printf. So is printf require dependent types to be done? Yeah. So printf is it's almost the first example of a dependently typed program that a lot of people see. Um, so, you know, you, you learn how to print something out in C, then you say, okay, well, the types of the, uh, the types of the arguments to printf depend on the string that's the first argument to printf. Um, so they're computed at compile time. A C compiler will tell you if you've got it wrong, um, which is interesting because uh, printf is is not, uh, as far as I'm aware, part of the C language standard. So so the only way you could do that, C not being a dependently typed language, this is something that has to be hard coded into the compiler. So so the reason I picked that example is just because it's a it's it's a fairly meaty example of of what it means to do uh, calculation of types at compile time, and it's an example that's that's familiar to um, to a lot of programmers, at least people who have um, some kind of C background. Um, it's nice to see how you can extend it with you know different types, for example. And so, so it's really something that allows you to see what's going on in a in a concept you understand. And the dependent part is that based on the the format string, then the type of the of the next parameters change. Right? Exactly. Yes. So so you. Uh, uh, yeah, you, calc- you calculate the, the input type from the format string and you calculate the output type from basically the rest of the format string. And as soon as the format string is empty, the output type is just string. So we, we go through this example in Idris in the book and uh, like the, the first thing that comes to my mind, of course, because in the Idris example, you know, the, the, these secondary parameters are calculated based on the first input, um, but at compilation time. Right. So, so how does this work if, I, if I'm feeding it a format string uh, that's a great question. Yes, so this this is um, uh, essentially what's happening here at compile time is it's checking with the information it has, and at runtime it doesn't have that information. So this is this is the basis of the the problem and the question. So basically, what it means is, if you want it to compile based on a runtime format string, you're going to have to check that format string at runtime, um, and the only way it's going to compile is if the machine is convinced 
that you have checked the format string to get the right uh, to, to get the right input. So if you imagine you're doing this in C, what would you do if you were doing the same thing in C? Well, the user types in a format string. What do you expect the next arguments to printf to be in your program? Uh, I think you, you're struggling to get that right. Um, so if, mm -hmm. if you're allowing the user to type in what the form of the data is, uh, you're going to have to check that data before you before you make any progress in the program. So it, it's almost going to be like uh, if you, you maybe in, in C, maybe you would do some check that says that parses the format string at runtime and says, okay, if I have percent %s, percent %d in that order and nothing else, then you're allowed to call this version of printf. So you'd, you'd, I mean, I don't know exactly how you do it. But you'd have to do something similar in an Idris program, but it would be checked at compile time that you had done the appropriate uh, runtime checks. Um, so just to, I mean, there is actually a simpler version of this that's, uh, that, that, that's a bit easier to think about, but it would scale up printf, which is the um, uh, an example of a fairly contrived example, but, uh, but um, um, back to vectors again. So reading in I'll take this vector of numbers example again. Why not? Because we've already talked about that. Uh, let, let's say we're, we're, we're reading in uh, two vectors of numbers from the user, and we're feeding it to our carefully designed and uh, guaranteed vectors inputs, vectors of the same length uh, addition function. Um, so we ask the user to enter one vector, then another. And do we assume that those vectors are the same length? Well, we can't. Uh, users are not noted for typing in the input that we really need them to have. So the only way the machine is going to let me call mm -hmm. the um, vector addition function is if I've checked that the inputs are the same length. And if they're not the same length, maybe I've, I modify them somehow to become the same length. So um, this, by having more precise types, we're not... Um, we're not freeing the programmer from having to do runtime checks, but we are freeing the programmer from having to do unnecessary runtime checks. And we are telling the programmer exactly where those runtime checks have to be. So, you know, if, if, if I read in a vector, that's going to be a vector of some length n. If I read in another vector, that's going to be a vector of some length m. So the next thing I have to do is check that n equals m. So, I, so the compiler is going to complain if I don't do that check. So I think this, this, this sort of thing has uh, you know really important implications, particularly if you're interested in security. So uh, if you're taking some arbitrary unchecked input from a user and you have a reasonably precise type that says, um, I know this input is safe, provided I can get it to match this type. So, you know, um, um, can't think of an example off the top of my head. Uh, but, you know, it, 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 so maybe input has to take a particular form. And I've written a, a function that only accepts a type that makes sure it's of, a, it's of that, that exact form. But the input I've read is a string. And there's no way I'm going to be able to run my function unless I can convince myself that the string I've read in is legitimate. So, of course, this is something that we should be doing anyway. If you're writing any kind of security-sensitive program, um, well, every program is security-sensitive these days, isn't it? So if you're writing any kind of program, um, you need to be checking that string and you need to be checking that it's the exact form that your function is going to take. And, and just you, you don't just assume that uh, uh, the things are going to work out. Um, but if your types aren't quite precise enough, then it might be that, well, you don't make those assumptions, but there's something you forgot about. So, um, so yeah, the, the printf example is a, is a kind of a tricky one. You probably wouldn't be taking runtime strings. But in the situations where you are taking runtime strings, yeah. um, you basically need to have a check. Actually, that would have been the short answer. You need to check at runtime. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that uh, 
Yeah, my, my bad. Bad example. An interesting one would be um, so, and I think it's in your book is if you have a uh, just a, a vector of four elements, and you're like, they the user provides a number, and yeah, you, know, you yeah. return the value. But so one of them so, is to one way of doing it is to say to the user, "No, I, I I'm going to make you provide exactly this number." And another way is like if you've got it over a network, then you've got no guarantee that that's going to be uh, intact. Um, so, you know, so then uh, so another way of doing it is to say, "Well, we'll we'll take whatever the user gives us, but we're going to make sure that it's right." So yeah, it was interesting to me to see like there's a a finite. Uh, finite type of integers so you could have an integer class that's constrained to the possible values of a yeah so uh, this is um yeah numbers finitely banded by some upper limit so uh the the natural example for this would be um an array lookup so um it's you're getting compile time checks on the bands of the array. So again, this is something where a user might type in something that's out of bands. You can only call the function it's in bands. So the machine is going to tell you, by the way, you need to do a check here. So uh, I think this is this is one of the things that the, the, the people get annoyed about with types and uh, annoyed about with, uh, you know, I, I have to do these checks, but I want to try the program without without doing these checks. I want to I want to just do some exploratory programming. So I think when, when it comes to the, the, the type driven interactive editing, this is something that we have to think about. Can we either make it so easy to put these checks in that there's really no use for not doing it? Or can we make it easy for people to just sort of incrementally arrive at a, a program that uh, that does the right thing, just, just leaving a hole um, for, for where you haven't done the necessary checks? So this is where we can go a lot better with the tooling. Um, you know, can I can I help because, exploratory programming by having better tooling for exploring? Because the concept of the compiler will force you know, force the developer to to validate all of the inputs that come in from the user. Like, like that is a great concept. Um, you're saying the problem is actually getting to that final program because in the middle step, you don't want to have to already have written all the values. Right, exactly. And I, this is what I do not a lot. Done. I mean, I, I, I write programs where I kind of, I know the happy path or I've got a rough idea what the happy path is. I'll code the happy path, but I'll just leave a load of holes for the, uh, for the, 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 the error checking. And I will test the program out with, with input that I know is okay and it'll be fine. And then I'll test it out with input that isn't okay and it'll go into one of my holes and it'll crash and it'll tell me which hole it went to. So I'll fill that hole in. So um, I find this quite a nice way of working to to just write in, be able to write incomplete programs and just have the compiler build them, and I can still test them even though they're not finished. But I have I have a machine to tell me which bits I need to do in order to make my program robust. So it's uh, uh, maybe that that could be improved tooling that allows us to to hide bits of the. It's almost like programming with text is the problem here. In fact, uh, the fact that programming languages are <laughs> fundamentally still text-based things uh, means that the, the sort of things we might want to do as perfectly reasonable things while developing just hide bits of programs, things we we, we aren't able to do quite yet. But uh, to be honest, that's the next thing I want to work on is making this uh, making this process of interactive editing and just just nicer. Uh, sort of my my dream is to have a like a maybe a tablet app or something like that where 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 I program essentially by waving hands around on the screen. So I write the types and then, then I fill in the program by waving waving my hand around, pulling in bits of programs from different sources. But uh, anyway, that's that's some way off. But uh, um, well, that would be a a hell of a demo. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, 
I don't I haven't I don't even know where to start <laughs> with tablet programming yet. So I think I'll need help on that one. <laughs> but uh, yes, that's a that's a dream. Yeah, I mean, I really like the keyboard. I don't know if uh, if text. I don't know. I, I've heard this comment before. Like, why do we just have files with text when when programs are so much more structured than that? But I think it's a it's a good lowest common right, denominator. I, I think you know, it's always going to be text in the end. But but ways of interacting with it. Well, I say it's always going to be text in the end. It's probably not always going to be text in the end. That's just the limitations of my own imagination. Um, but having having better ways of interacting with it, even if it is still text, I, I, I think is important. So it's, it's a lot of the limitations of, of the text editors we have. And actually it turns out, you know, if you're, if you're using um, pretty much any modern text editor, it's, 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 it's amazing what you can do with them just by, by I mean, the, the atom mode for, for Idris, it's, it's essentially, it's talking to an Idris process in the background. So we can get it to do basically anything as long as, uh, as long as we can explain it to Idris as part of a, just a, a text command. So, so there's there's all sorts of scope mm. for uh, uh, for interesting new ways of editing programs. Um, I think. It, 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 so I have a couple of. Uh, I, mean, I was just going to say uh, that, that so so that if 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 you start um, imagining new things like uh, writing writing a program writing a monomorphic program. But there is a polymorphic version of it, maybe already in the library. I, I, I just sort of imagine uh, um, you know, writing that program in the the interactive type driven mode, and then the machine says, "Ah, by the way, you've already written this program. It's called Map, or it's called ZipWith." I just once, once you start imagining mm-hmm. what you can do, if the machine knows more about your program, I think there's all sorts of cool stuff we could be doing there. Yeah, I think like a, a linter kind of can do that sometimes. Say like, "Hey, it seems like you're using." map um but yeah it's not yes maybe it is interactive with the right yeah so there. so linting tools can do this there's all sorts of tools that can detect this but i reckon it should be something that the machine can spot itself you, you shouldn't need to code up these uh you know specific examples of higher order functions um but anyway, again that's 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 so dream mean- world but would be nice to have <laughs> okay so i have a bunch of uh Yes or no questions oh, okay. that are maybe a little bit silly that I'm going to hit you. You can uh, you can say yes or no, or you can refuse <laughs> okay. to answer or expand. <laughs> so, um, does Idris compile to PHP? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> in in that you can <laughs> generate PHP for uh, core Idris programs, but it only does the absolute basics. Um, so I actually did that back end as a bet, as you do. Um, so, uh, in, in principle, yes, but, but really don't use it. Uh, Haskell having two colons for, uh, type annotation is a mistake. Uh, it was historically the right choice at the time. It's a safe, safe answer. <laughs> well, so I, I don't think people necessarily know why it has two colons instead of one. Um, so, so as far as I know, the reason is that um, it, it came out of uh, it evolved in various ways from another language, Miranda. So, um, by David Turner, and uh, that had type inference. And the the uh, David Turner's idea was that he would be writing a lot more lists than he would be writing types. Therefore. Single colon mm. for lists or single colon for types. Well, you pick the one that you pick the shortest thing for the thing you do more. So completely sensible mm-hmm. to pick a single colon for lists. Well, in Idris, I think I'm writing a lot more types than lists. So it's the other way around. Um, 
But anyway, that, 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 as far as I'm aware, that was the reason for single colon. That was a completely sensible thing to do. But that doesn't mean we should keep a decision because it was a sensible thing to do in 1980. Having a programming language with lazy evaluation by default is a mistake. No. True or false? False, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, there, there are pros. I'm not. I'm doing something well on yes or no here. Um, so uh, there are <laughs> lots of arguments in favour of lazy evaluation. There are lots of arguments in favour of strict evaluation. Uh, I like both. Um, I would really like a language that could read my mind as to what I wanted and when, but that's even more of a dream than <laughs> um, than the other things. So. I mean, I, I, I picked strict for Idris just because um, a while ago I'd implemented a lazy language and I wanted to implement a strict one this time. Um, that was the real reason. Um, there's actually a better reason, which has come up later, which is that I want a type to precisely say what the data is at runtime. So uh, if if the type is int, I want the representation of that to be definitely an int. I don't necessarily want it to be a bit pattern that represents an int. So that that's really the, 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 the why I argue for strict now. But really, you know, they they both they both got merits. Mm. What do you mean by a bit oh, pattern that matches an int? Like a um, yeah. So um, uh, if you see like in C, for example, if you see the the data type int, you know that the that if you look at those bits and you interpret them, you will get the number that is represented by that, that int. Uh, in Haskell, what you will get is a pointer to a computation that will get you an int. It might be it might be an int, or it might be a function that will calculate an int. And I'm just thinking now that if if I really do want the types to be precise, then if it's an int, if the type says it's an int, it should be an int. If it's a computation that calculates an int, the type should say it's a computation that calculates an int. So that's why in Idris we call lazy int. So we've got this lazy type. But that's that is merely mm. true for Idris. That's not that's not something that I believe to be universally true. It is merely the decision that uh, that we've taken for Idris. So I, I don't think there is a universally right answer to lazy uh, or strict. They're, they're they're both useful in their own settings. So. Um, yeah, I realize you know it is going out on the internet, and therefore I should be controversial. But I'm not going to. It's, it's like you know, it's more it's more complicated. Than that. <laughs> All right, here's a controversial one that I saw from one of your talks. Um, Americans are spelling <laughs> colors. Uh, oh, I just do that for cheap ass. Um, so it's, it, it's very sad to me that, uh, that just one of the final things that uh, that happened with the, the book before going to print is that they changed it into the house style and, and, and they they broke all my spelling um but yeah i i so i just whatever <laughs> it it really doesn't matter does it um, but in 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 the source code for idris uh we we spell color with a u and and we spell normalize with an s and and all of that uh, however <laughs> there are some things just well, not I'm worth arguing about. lazy versus is one of them <laughs> color with you or without you is also not one of them but you know it, it it keeps us busy on the internet so there you go well i want to be uh, conscious of your time edwin uh it's been great to talk to you about idris and the book and uh thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me well thank you for having me so that was the interview. Did it get you interested in Idris and dependent types? For me, it totally did. If you liked the episode, do me a huge favor and, and tell somebody else about it. Maybe share it with some of your coworkers.
Until next time, thank you so much for listening.